Please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I have a friend who's a Lutheran pastor who's also a a musician and a songwriter. He wrote a song called Give Us Back His Name, which is about how Jesus has been co-opted, going way back to the time of Constantine. To make his point, he calls it Satan who has stolen the name of Jesus. Here are a few lines from the song. Old Constantine helped wash him away, bathed him in blood, stuck on a sword, and called him king. Satan took his name, moved him away from enemy love. You see, when dreams get codified, institutions end up on the side, the side of the devil. He plays his game and removes his name. So give us back his name. That old devil's had it much too long. I think the song is in some sense about the tension between church as a Christian movement and the church as an institution, about what happens if we try to codify dreams. The irony is deep, that the Prince of Peace, who was killed by the Roman Empire because they were threatened by him, would later be claimed as a symbol to unite the Roman Empire under Constantine for the sake of military victory. Bathed in blood indeed, to repeat that phrase from my friend's song. Today is the day of Pentecost. People call Pentecost the birthday of the church. But what is being born? Does this occasion of the church being born give us any clues about what the church is meant to be? Last week, we remembered that Jesus' final instruction to his disciples was to share our stories of how we experience Christ, to spread that word in ever-widening circles. That comes from the first chapter of the book of Acts. Today we pick up the story just a bit later. Jesus is no longer visibly or bodily present. The early Christian community is gathered together, and Peter emerges as a significant leader. We can trace the history of Pentecost through a series of different communities. There was a Jewish Pentecost before there was ever a Christian Pentecost. The Jewish festival of Pentecost is the event that all these people are gathered for in our reading this morning. Peter and the other disciples and Jews from every nation, we are told. The Jewish Pentecost is also called Shavuot. And the festival celebrates the giving of the Torah. Those books of the Torah contain a very wide range of content. But all the contents of the Torah contribute to shaping the identity of the community that called those books scripture. Those texts shaped the self-understanding of that community. And at the center of that self-understanding of that community was the understanding of being a community in covenant with God. The Christian Pentecost occurs within a different community, the community of those seeking to live as followers of Jesus. The Pentecost story in the book of Acts recalls how a group gathered to celebrate the Jewish Pentecost, 
And on that occasion, the Holy Spirit descended on the people, and Peter proclaimed the good news that Jesus was the Messiah and was resurrected. As the people gathered together and heard that good news, a new kind of community was being born. This was a community unified by the promise that the Holy Spirit was with them, a Holy Spirit that was the continuation of Jesus' presence with them, a Holy Spirit that empowered the continuation of the movement of Jesus' followers, the movement that began when Jesus was with them. We gather today in yet a different community. We mostly forget any roots in the Jewish Pentecost, but we annually celebrate the occasion of the Holy Spirit descending upon the people. We remember how it happened then, and we wonder about how it is still happening now. But most importantly, we too can be unified by the promise that the Holy Spirit is with us. We too can continue the movement Jesus began, the movement of Jesus' followers. The church began as a movement. I use the term movement loosely here for those of you who study social movements. But what I mean is that before Christianity was a religion, before there were church buildings, before there were ideas labeled as doctrine and ideas labeled as heresy, before there were ordained clergy or institutional hierarchy, before Christianity could even be called a religion, it was a small and then growing group of people who shared a dream and a vision. In the book of Acts, the book we hear from today, the early church is repeatedly called the way. Christianity was not an institutionalized religion. It was a way of life. The early church was marked by a passion for how they had experienced God and for the hope that they found in Christ's life and teachings. The early church was marked by a vision for faithful living, and all this was something they wanted to share. A few themes come up repeatedly through the book of Acts as it traces the birth of the church. Over and over we read of signs and wonders that were occurring, things like people being healed and prisoners being released. Over and over we read about the people being all together, something about gathering was important to this community. We read over and over about the practices of this early Christian community. Teaching, fellowship and care for one another, breaking bread together, and prayer. And we read story after story of those who became followers of this way, those who joined the early Christian movement. It talks about being pe- people being saved. You could call these conversion stories. But these conversion stories in the book of Acts lack the edge of judgment we are familiar with in 20th century or 21st century Christians who emphasize some kind of requirement of conversion or being saved. We don't have the sense that Peter and the others in Acts had an antagonistic relationship with those around them or those outside their community. Instead, there's a pervasive sense of excitement a sense of hope and joy in these stories of early Jesus followers, these followers of this way. There's a sense of celebration 
and that alongside the descriptions of the day-in, day-out practices of being community together. Teaching and fellowship and caring for those in need, breaking bread together and prayer. There is a sense of generosity in how these early Christians sought to share the hope and joy they had found. This was a growing community of folks who shared a dream and a vision, a dream rooted in what they had observed and learned through the life and teachings and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The early Christian movement was full of dreams. Our scripture reading this morning says so, quoting the prophet Joel and applying those words to the early Christian community. Peter says this, quoting Joel, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. The phrase, the kingdom of God, leaves some folks cold today. We don't have much context for kingdom, and especially not a positive context that evokes a sense of God's vision for the world. Some contemporary theologians use instead the language of God's dream. We can imagine that God has a dream, a heartfelt vision for this world God loves. Perhaps the early movement was about embracing God's dream. And it is not helpful to take a dream and try to codify it, to try to pin it down or box it up. Over the centuries, the church has gone from being a movement to being an institutionalized religion. Can we reclaim elements of being a movement? Looking at church history, it's often the reform movements that are most exciting to me. It seems that when reform movements emerge, we find people trying most earnestly to reclaim what is at the heart of Christianity, trying to move away from institutional structures and doctrines that get in the way of the movement of God through communities of Jesus followers. Our own denomination began as an earnest and passionate reform movement in the Church of England in the 18th century. Methodism began as a movement marked by covenant groups that allowed people to share deeply their faith and their struggles in small groups, and also marked by the desire to get outside the walls of church buildings to reach people who were struggling. This sounds to me not too far afield from what we hear about in the book of Acts. People gathering, people practicing their faith together, people caring for one another, and people sharing their hopes and dreams outside the walls of any building. If that old language of the kingdom of God, that kingdom we pray will come on earth as it is in heaven, if that old language can be translated as God's dream, how then can we be a part of God's dream? The church exists to collaborate with God in God's work, the church exists to be a reflection of God's image and character. Our gospel reading this morning has Jesus telling his disciples that if they've seen him, if they've seen Jesus, then they have seen God. The ideal is that the church, as the body of Christ, continuing Christ's presence in the world today, through the Holy Spirit, 
will also be a way that we can see God, that the church will do a good job of reflecting God. Can we, as the church, offer a glimpse of who God is that is greater than what the church is? We can if we do it, if we reflect God. This means being a community so marked by love and forgiveness and earnest faith that our relationships and practices provide a glimpse of God's dream. So let's dream dreams and let's live them with passion and generosity. Let's embrace the elements of movement that set the church on fire in the book of Acts and that ignited our own Methodist movement. Let us reflect a faith marked so deeply by hope and joy that we might reveal a glimpse of the God who gives us hope and joy. Amen.